Well, my boy loves all things firefighter. He loves fire trucks. He has a fireman's outfit that he loves to put on, and it's hard to put on, so we always have to help him get it on. And he loves his fireman's boots and his books about firefighters and fire engines. The sounds of sirens intrigue him. He knows that when trouble comes, you can call a firefighter, and they'll come to the, to the rescue, whether it's a fire or an accident or some other difficulty or issue, you can call, and, and there's a rescue. And we're grateful, no doubt, for, for our first responders. But what about the broken hearts that these tragedies leave behind? What about the pain of a rift in the family or a chronic health issue, a broken marriage, a lost loved one, and the list could go on and on and on. Who do you call then for rescue? Where do we go for help? Well, this has been a tough week in our church and a tough week in in our community. Many folks in our congregation are hurting not only from the events of this week, but many of you are carrying heavy burdens, facing very difficult life situations, situations that are honestly heartbreaking. So I thought it would be good for us to take a break from the series that we're going through on prayer, though we will talk about prayer this morning, and go to the Word for some perspective and I hope for some encouragement. So I hope this morning you are lifted And the word encourages you. We'll be in Psalm 62. Now David, the author of this psalm, faced all sorts of hardships in life. King Saul tried to kill David on multiple occasions, literally trying to kill him. King David's daughter was raped by a half-brother. His own son, Absalom, rose up to, to lead a coup against him and ultimately to kill him. He experienced the loss of a baby boy. And undoubtedly, David had a lot of regrets from his sinful past. Mistakes that he had made that were difficult to live with. And so David understood what it meant to hurt. He understood what it meant to suffer. To suffer agony. To suffer the worst kinds of pains that we can experience here on earth. He understood that. And we don't know the exact situations of Psalm 62. We, we, really, we, we don't know exactly what's happening in the life of David, but we know that he had all sorts of trials in his life. And so he, he writes about God's comfort and help in the midst of difficulty. We do know from verses 3 and 4 that, that there was uh, people who wished to harm him, who were against him. And so, so that gives us some insight into what's happening here in this psalm and In in verses 1 and 2, David testifies of the fact that he trusts God. And then in verses 3 and 4, as I mentioned a moment ago, his mind goes to those who would harm him, who would kill him, who would hurt him. And then David writes his thinking and he comes back and he begins to focus on God again. And we'll pick up there in verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. 
My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Now in these verses, we see that in the dark days, God alone is our rescue. In the dark days, God alone, He is our rescue. And in these verses, we see four reasons to look to God for our rescue. First, God is our hope. He is our hope. Look in verse 5. David says, God alone. That's who I hope in. In other words, there's no higher authority to appeal to. There's no other person to go and to seek help from. David says, no, I'm going to him. I'm going to him alone. Notice that David says, my soul waits in silence. And it could be that that David simply didn't have any words to say. You've probably been at that place where the pain was so great that there was nothing you could say. Just feel numb. We don't know exactly. It could be that David had already said all the words that could be said. It could be that he had already prayed and prayed before the Lord and he had nothing left to say. We don't know, but what we do know is that at this point his soul is silent before the, before the Lord and he is trusting God alone. So David is suffering and he's struggling and, and he affirms my hope. It comes from God. Now understand David recognized that God had allowed him to be in the circumstances that he was in. It wasn't as if God was surprised by what was happening in David's life, this this hard season in David's life. No, God knew about that. And even though David knew that, that God knew, that God had permitted these hard circumstances, he still trusted God. He still looked to God for his hope. Now, notice the word my here in verse 5. David is saying, you are my hope. This isn't theology for the sake of theologizing. This isn't poetry for the sake of art. No, this is life and death. David is holding on to God. And he's crying out to God, my hope, it's you, God. My hope, it's you. This is... This is David clinging on to God in the midst of his heartache, turning to God in the darkest, yes, the darkest of days. Now, in verse 10, we know that David warns against placing our hope in the wrong things. He says, some will trust in riches. They'll think that money can fix everything. But God, my hope is you. My hope's in you. So this morning, put your hope in God alone. Look to him When you look to him, there really is hope. When the days are hard and the nights are long, go to him. Go to him. He'll be with you. He'll help you. And recognize that in Christ, if you are in Christ, you have a hope that endures, a hope that is eternal. So when the days are dark here, when they are so dark here, Just remember, a day is coming when the dark days will be over. A day is coming when the sun will shine. 
when all will be right and well and good. Heaven will be a place of unimaginable joy. If you are in Christ, I want you to understand the long night will one day end. And everything will be day. Everything will be made right. Your faith will be a sight as you stand before the beauty and the radiance of the Lord Jesus of God's throne. There will be no more pain. Only joy. And so while this life can bring some hard times, we recognize that in light of eternity, life, it's so small. So even in the midst of our difficulties, and some of these difficulties go on and on and on, we can look forward to an eternity where these difficulties are over and forever and ever and ever Things are right. Oh, there's, there's hope there. There's hope there. Second, this passage teaches us that God is our security. He is our security. Look in verse 6. David says he is my rock. He's my rock. There is no other rock. There's no other place for me to find foundation, for me to find strength. You see, a rock we know is a picture of something solid, even in the midst of chaos and, and trouble. It's security, it's stability. A rock, well, a rock is sure and certain. And that's what David says God is to him. He's his rock. David calls God a, a fortress. He says, when the storms of life are raging, God, you're a fortress to me. You're the place I can go and be protected. In verse 6, he says, I will not be shaken. Now, this is interesting because if you go back to verse 2, David says that, that God is his rock, but he says, I will not be shaken greatly. But here in verse 6, David says, God, you're my rock, and I will not be shaken. He doesn't modify it with the word greatly. What do we see here? That as David has focused on God, he's been strengthened in his spirit. And now he recognizes that even though the storms rage around him, even there, though there are those who would like to take his life, he says, I will not be shaken. So as we focus on who God is and we remember the character of God, we're able to gain stability even in the worst of times even in the darkest of days. Now, the fact that God is the rock, the fact that God is stability, points to the fact that God is sovereign, that, that, that he's sovereign. He couldn't be the rock if he wasn't sovereign, if he wasn't ruler of all. And David points to this even in verse 11 as he says that power belongs to God. We know that scripture teaches God is sovereign over all. To, to say that God is sovereign is to acknowledge that, that God is in control. So David wasn't in this situation because God was on vacation or God was napping. It wasn't like that at all. We can't fully grasp the sovereignty of God. It's difficult for our finite minds, our limited minds to be able to wrestle with this amazing fact that God rules over all. So it's a mystery in many ways. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know something. The sovereignty of God gives us security. 
It gives us peace because we don't have to fear that life is out of control. It's not. It's in his hands. Even when it feels like it is raging and out of control, we have to know that he is the sovereign ruler over all who works in the midst of our sinfulness, who works in the midst of a broken world, and who accomplishes his purposes. So we never have to fear that things are out of control. They're never out of control. Never out of his control. You see, the sovereignty of God, while a mystery, is also a great peace. There's great solace and security there. It means that if we go back and go, oh, if I hadn't made this mistake or if I hadn't made that decision, now my life is ruined. God's sovereignty means we don't have to live there. We can recognize that it's in the midst of our our foibles and our mistakes that God works. In the midst of a broken world, in the midst of sin, in the midst of heartache and suffering, that God, that God moves. And so, here, we find security. God is a rock. He is a sovereign ruler. He is a solid foundation. You know, as you think about the events of your life, some of them might feel jagged. They might feel broken. Much as if you were standing before a glass window that had just shattered and shards of glass were everywhere. Some of you can, can think of, of the hardships that you've faced in life, maybe, maybe some of which you, you've brought on yourself from bad decisions and others, the circumstances of living in a fallen world. But at any rate, you look back to these points in your past, things that have happened, and all you see is a shattered window. But I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, that the God of the universe, yes, the sovereign God of the universe, takes those shards of broken glass and he begins to put them together just as an artist would take shards of broken glass and build a beautiful stained glass window. Put together out of brokenness. So what has happened in your life? What is the brokenness? Maybe it's joblessness. Maybe it's an affair. Divorce. A miscarriage. Poverty. Some abuse has occurred in your life. A family death. Some sort of an addiction. Do you understand that these broken pieces of our lives, God is able to take them and to do something beautiful in our lives through them? That's the miracle of a God who's sovereign. So remember, God is ultimately in control. And that means that nothing in your life takes God by surprise. Nothing at all. It means that he works in the midst of brokenness to accomplish his purposes. Think about the cross. There's a picture of that. There's a picture of that reality. He makes something beautiful. Yes, out of our messes, he makes something beautiful. And yes, out of the deepest hurts of our lives, God makes something good if we belong to him. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's security here. There's peace here. Some of you need to quit regretting. Some of you need to quit asking what if. Some of you need to quit looking at the past. And you need to recognize God's got a plan even in the hard days, even in the darkest of days. So trust him. Find security. Yes, find safety in his sovereignty. He does beautiful work.
even with the darkest parts of our lives. So he is our security. Third, he is our redemption. God is our redemption. In verse 6, David says that God is his salvation. God saves him. In verse 7, David says, on God rests my salvation. You see, David knew that redemption is found in God. Now, of course, David is speaking of the hardship that he's facing, trusting that that God would save him, but, but he's likely pointing to a spiritual reality as well, that in his relationship with God, he found salvation. Now, often, in the midst of our pain and brokenness, we begin to hunt for something to fix it, something to make it okay. One of the places that people sometimes go is to alcohol, for example. Um, Maybe you'll recognize uh, this song. It's sung by by Lady Antebellum called Bartender. It's the story of a woman who's having trouble uh, in in a relationship, and she looks to the bottle for help. What I'm really needing now is a double shot of crown. Chase that disco ball around till I don't remember. Go until they cut me off. Want to get a little lost in the noise and the lights. Hey, bartender, pour them hot tonight till the party and music and the truth collide. Bring it till his memory fades away. Hey, bartender, I'm feeling that buzz. I'm ready to rock. Ain't no way I'm going to tell you to stop. So pour that thing up to the top. I'm coming in hot. Now some in the midst of pain We'll try to find something to fix it. It's alcohol for some. It's drugs for others. And still sometimes we can use things like food or even a relationship. And we think these things are going to fill up and fix us. But brothers and sisters, redemption, salvation, it's found only in Jesus. It's, it's only in him. You see, in our dark days, Jesus is where our help comes from. When we know God and we have a close relationship with him, we find strength and help through these hard days. Notice in these four verses, the word my is used nine times. It's used nine times. Why? Because what David is talking about is personal for him. David really knew God. And so he could say, God, you're my rock, you're my security, you're my fortress. He could say all of these things about God because he really knew him. I wonder this morning, do you? Do you really know God? Do you know Jesus? Really know Jesus? Or do you just know about him? Now I know that every one of you here today knows about Martin Luther King. There, there's no doubt about that. He led the civil rights movement in the 1960s. You know about Martin Luther King, but most of us probably never met him. Many of us never uh, born uh, when he was living. We know about him, but we don't know him. And some of you here today, that would explain your knowledge of God, your knowledge of Jesus. You know about Jesus, but you don't know him. But understand, if you're going to have strength in the midst of broken days, you have to actually know him personally, face to face. You see, Jesus came to this earth and he faced some terribly dark days. He was betrayed even by those closest to him. He was beaten. He was nailed brutally to a cross. 
He died, was buried, and he was raised to life. He was given new life. And you know why Jesus did this? He did this to rescue us. He did this so that we could, so that we could know God. So that when God comes to judge wickedness and evil, he wouldn't have to judge us. You see, when we turn to Christ, our sins are forgiven. And we don't face the judgment of God. We face the mercy of God. You see, David says that in God rests his glory and his honor. And what he's saying is this, all of my life, everything that I am, I'm trusting in your hands, God. You're my salvation. I wonder today, is he your salvation? Do you know him personally? So the scripture teaches that he's our redemption. Fourth, he is our rest. God is our rest. In verse 7, God calls, or David calls God his, his refuge. His shelter. Think about that. A refuge. A place to get away. When everything's crazy, when the storms are raging, don't you need a refuge? That's what God is. He's a a refuge. He's a place to rest. And in verse 8, David begins to share what what he's learned of God with, with others. And he urges he urges people to trust God in the midst of, of the dark days. In fact, in fact, he says, at all times, trust him at all times. Yes, when the skies are blue and the sun is shining, trust him. But yes, trust him at all times, even in the worst of times. Even when we get the worst call of our lives. Even when we discover the condition. It's terminal. Even when it seems that everything, that everything's over, when it seems hopeless and terribly dark, David says, trust him. Trust him. Now, do you remember when you were a kid and when you were scared? What did you do when you were little and you were scared? And you ran into the arms of your mama or your daddy. And when you were little, those arms of your mama or your daddy, they could lift you up and everything, everything was okay. You weren't scared anymore. Well, David is saying to you and to me, run into his arms. What are you doing out there wandering away? No, run to him. Let him hold you. Let him hold you close and comfort you. You're safe in his arms. Don't don't go out there. No, run. Run to him. Pour out your heart to him. Sometimes when we face difficulty and hardship and suffering, we have a tendency to want to fight God, to want to be angry with God, to want to be bitter against God. And we say, God, if you're good, how could you allow this? I don't believe you're good. I don't want to follow a God like this. We don't understand his ways. But brothers and sisters, the best counsel we can, we can take is what David says. Don't run from him in these days. Even when you don't understand him, run to him. Run to him. What does David say? He says to pour out your heart before him. He says he's a refuge for his people, a safe place for, for his people. 
So tell him what's on your mind and and what's on your heart. Lay bare your soul before the Lord in your suffering and pain. Take the picture of your heart and empty it out. Every last drop before the Lord. Your fears, your sorrows, your sins, your desires, your dreams, your brokenness. Yes, every drop. Pour them out before him. You see, holding our griefs and our heartaches into ourselves instead of pouring them out before the Lord has been compared to damming up a stream that will eventually swell and rage. No, it's better to give a stream a clear course. So pour out your hurts before the Lord. He'll hear. He cares. He loves. We often don't understand his ways, but we can trust his word. We can look to the cross. Have you ever had a bad dream that you had over and over and over again? I read of one man who who every year or so dreamed that his wife died. And he said that his wife was actually flattered by the nightmare because his greatest fear was losing her. But he said that he came to the place where he almost likes having that nightmare because he said, I could wake up and I could say it was only a bad dream. Everything I was experiencing has become untrue. It's become untrue. He said, it's wonderful to be able to awake in the morning. It was only a bad dream. Brothers and sisters, do you know what heaven means? As this writer put it, it doesn't mean that God will give us a nicer place. No, he's going to take the horrors and sufferings that we faced and he's going to make them like a bad dream. He'll make them come untrue. He's going to take even the worst things that have happened in your life and he's going to take them up into glory in such a way that they make the glory of heaven greater and greater. We can't comprehend that. But that's what the word says. These horrors will, in a sense, they'll become untrue. They won't be real. They'll be undone in the radiance and the beauty and the glories of heaven. Do you believe that this morning? That God will take your darkest days and undo them in the time that is to come? Isn't that the message of the gospel? That the Son of God left the glories of heaven becoming a man, being nailed to the cross, being buried, being raised again. You see, God made the horrors of death undone, untrue, if you will, in Christ. So this morning, are you in Christ? Do you have the assurance that your darkest days will one day become untrue? If not, won't you believe today? Won't you turn to Christ today? There's some of you here this morning. The the thing that you need to do today before the day is over is you need to come to know Jesus. Not just know about Him, but come to know Him. Truly come to know Him. And when you do, you have an eternal promise that your darkest days, they'll be untrue in heaven. They'll be undone in heaven And all will be made right and beautiful. You see, God is our 
rescue. He's our hope, our security, our redemption, our rest. Are you weighed down this morning? Discouraged? Some of you depressed? Maybe some of you have even pondered suicide. I'm pleading with you. Don't go there. Does the journey just seem too hard? The skies seem too dark. Brothers and sisters, it is at this very moment, this very moment, that you can know rescue. Now, God didn't take away all the pain and the heartache in David's life. But what he did as he stilled his soul, he gave him new strength, gave him new help, he gave him the ability to keep going and to find life even in the midst of the hard stuff. Yes, the really, really hard stuff. So this morning, he may take your dark days away and the skies may be blue and oh, I pray, I pray that he does. But if he doesn't, and you belong to him, brothers and sisters, he will never, ever leave you alone. Draw close to him. Tell him what's on your heart. Pour the picture of your heart out before him. I promise you, you'll find rescue. You'll find relief. Even, yes, even if the storms continue to rage, you can have peace and solace in Christ. And in him, you can know that one day, these bad days, these days of suffering, they'll be undone in the wonderful, incredible glory that is to come. Join me in prayer.